The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. We have just three minutes. Turn at the next corner. Left? Right. Right, you knucklehead. No, I said left. See, right was left. What? I don't know. Good morning, London. It's Thursday, September 12, 2013. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. And we, we, we <laughs> will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to our show where 519-661-3600 is the number to call to join in on the conversation. Do you know how hard it is to say that and we will be with you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done it so well for so many times, but it, it's a good day to do, do that because we're almost doing a sort of a, a primer of the show again today. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you can always call that number. If you don't want to talk to us, you can talk to our operator, Ed, and pass along a comment or question. And, of course, you can always email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. We'll be ending our show today with a continuation of the discussion on Syria that we began last week on the show, and why the United States appears to be walking into yet another self-destructive act of international altruism. Is that about the way to put it, Robert? That's about it, Bob, yeah. Yeah, it, it, which means, of course, sacrificing the lives and money of its own citizens, essentially to protect an enemy. Isn't that what it boils down it's to? It's so head-shakingly bizarre. Yeah, that's what I got here. Too bizarre for science fiction or fantasy. So <laughs> we reserve it. Up. We reserve it for news commentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but between now and then, we're going to fade into color and from color into black and white, as Robert and I discuss the political and philosophical spectrum at its root and basics. I mean, the name of the show is Just Right, and it all revolves around those labels. And for those of you who are new to our show, welcome. Met some new people out in the parking lot today, too, Robert. A whole new season starting here at Western University, which is clearly back in academic action for the season. Are you kidding me? It's maggoty out there. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it sticky and hot and everything? Ooh. I was it, talking about the number of students out oh, there. You can hardly move. Oh, that's what you meant. Yeah. Mm. And I know that um, both CHRW Radio and our own show, Just Right, may be unfamiliar to many. And even for those regular listeners who haven't figured us out yet, <laughs> maybe this is a good review of some of those basics. just wanted to say a quick thing about this show, too, because this show, Just Right, has an evolutionary history, if you will. And that name, Just Right, will be one of the concepts we'll take a closer look at when we spend most of our show today on the fundamental and hopefully real distinctions between left and right, as contrasted with the phony and unreal distinctions between the left and right that most of the political public operates and votes on. Now, this show, Just Right, debuted in April 2007, one week after the final broadcast of a weekly segment of former talk show host Jim Chapman's own daily show here at CHRW, which was called Left, Right, and Center. By the way, you can still get those broadcasts on our website as well, all the ones from uh, CJBK. That show usually featured myself on the right in debate with Jim Chapman in the center and London lawyer Jeff Schlemmer on the left. By the way, uh, just to mention, Mm -hmm. I think that's the only place that you can find those broadcasts. You cannot find them at their originating source either, can you? No. In fact, uh, and I'm embarrassed to say, and I should say this now, a couple years ago I said we'd get them all up online, and I predicted we'd have close to 200 episodes, right? And I figure that means we would have all of them. Well, there are way over 200 episodes online, and we didn't even get to the CHRW ones yet. I still have to post them. There's another 60-some-odd of them. So there's still plenty of those to be posted. And, of course, that show had about a 10-year history spanning back to CJBK here in London, where the feature began before Jim brought it over to CHRW. And uh, the left, right, and center feature ended when Jim chose to end his own talk show here for a crack at provincial politics. 
And that was when I was offered the opportunity to, to do my own weekly show here at CHRW. And it struck me that in the absence of a left or center on the show, it was now just right. right? <laughs> so no left, no center, just right. So the show had its a natural flow to how it became to be named. Little did I know that that name would be so ideal for everything we've been doing on the show. So if you haven't really heard the show before, you'll either end up being, well, really upset or really delighted, depending on where you sit on the left-right spectrum, even if you may not see yourself thinking in those terms. And whether you find that what you like, or if you like us or hate us, Robert and I invite you to join us as we embark on a weekly journey in the right direction and talk philosophy, politics, TV, and movie entertainment, comedy, drama, current events, ancient events, science, technology, history, economics, world affairs, local affairs, and a few subjects we can't even categorize, <laughs> right? You never know, too, what issue or guest may appear on our show unless you tune in regularly, because... Quite frankly, we don't even know until the day almost arrives. And we don't usually advertise our guests either. No. But here's what you can know and count on. It's just right, not right wing, and it's right here, 11 a.m. to noon, each and every Thursday on CHRW 94.9 FM, the station that is just right if you're looking for something really different in radio programming. So, left and right. Did you see that nice chart I gave you there? Yes. You haven't seen that before. I've been working on that thing for years, you know. It's very pretty. It's <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> but, you know, I still talk to people, even regulars, and I, you, know, you can tell that left and right aren't firm ideas in their minds, you know. And I often wonder if people are as confused as the Three Stooges were about left and right in our opening scene there. Um, you know, do, do you ever get more confused when you hear us begin each week's show with Robert and I declaring that we're not right-wing, but just right? Well, I guess that's the starting point in our show today. I recall when we featured our on-air guest, Dr. Yaron Brook, back in May 2nd. Uh, that's just right, 298, if anybody wants to check it out online. He's the executive director of the Ayn Rand Institute, and we, we titled that portion of our show online, Ideas in Conflict, Left and Right versus right. So that kind of set it right up. And of course we've been recently talking about how people assume that what we have now is capitalism and something on the right when in fact we're moving rapidly in the opposite direction of capitalism and freedom. So any government that can take anywhere from 50% or more of its citizens earnings is in no way a free or capitalistic society had heard a really interesting comment by one fellow on some talk shows over on some other talk shows and he he defined our current issue this way he said we, right now we have a situation where the, the control of money is in too few hands and he called it totalitarian capitalism <laughs> and i thought what an interesting juxtaposition because those two words could not possibly be more opposite to each other Capitalism is the opposite of totalitarianism. Now, of course, we've talked in the past of how confused many people are about left and right, and up and down, whatever. And, of course, we see that most people in the country might see the conservative party in their country here, or whatever the conservative party is in other countries. It would be the, the Republicans in the States, and, of course, the, the conservatives in Britain, and there's U.S. and Europe, and they're generally defined as being on the right or the right wing. Most people would see their respective liberal parties, whether it's Democrat, New Democrat, Labor, as being on the left or left wing. Would you agree with me so far, Robert? Well, so far, so good, yeah. But what's being left but what being left or right actually means in reality is quite another thing since relative to a fixed reality both left and right wing ideologies drift in sort of a directionless purposeless not intentionally direction but it always drifts left because that's the natural tendency of governments to to do stuff which means doing things they shouldn't be doing cuz the governing thing has already been taken care of really if you think about it and, of course, we generally find ourselves always surprised that we seem to be moving away from freedom and towards tyranny. And that is the left. You know, it's true. Every time the government passes a piece of legislation, it invariably destroys your rights and your freedom. 
invariably. I don't. I can't really tell you what piece of legislation any government has done in the last 50 years, which makes us freer. Only when they get rid of some piece of legislation. Yes, only the repeal and, and, of legislation. And of course, when we're talking about legislation here, mostly we're talking about economics. Something the government shouldn't regulation, even be involved in. Regulation, taxation, right. yeah. Now, regulation in peacekeeping and law or and order, it's a bit of a different thing. Even there, though, we see a lot of problems when they overstep their bounds. But again, the basic issue is that most of the government growth today is not in the field of what governments do, which is protect life, liberty, and property, but in the field of economics and of, of wealth redistribution. Now, you know, the sad fact is I think that when today's typical politicians or parties call themselves left-wing or right-wing, they actually want us to believe that they have principles and that these things make them different from each other. So the guy who says he's left, he wants to be seen as different from the guy who's calling himself right and vice versa. And in fact, though, if you look at the, the, the actual where the sources of those ideas are coming from and that's something you're going to be doing later in the show is it not yeah the etymology yeah, of yeah, the words which, yeah. which i don't even know what you're going to be saying so i'm hoping that what i'm saying is going to be somewhat consistent i'm sure it's nothing that you yeah. haven't heard before but uh it'll be a different angle on the whole thing too but um you know essentially the politicians are really not that different from each other in any substantial or you know essential way so from my point of view, all of Canada's and Ontario's officially registered parties are on the left. Now, there's two kinds of spectrums, I think, when it comes to left wing and right wing. I think there's a political spectrum, which sort of separates the left and right wing. Politically, the so-called left wing and right wing are opponents in the struggle for power only, not opponents in ideology or in what they want to do. They're all on the same page in every other respect. Uh, they don't really have opposing ideas. Their ideas are all on what we call the collectivist page, which means some version of collectivism. It could be socialism, communism, fascism, or what we call the mixed economy. Ideas which are equally shared by all of the parties in our legislature and parliament. And so left wing and right wing uh, alike are the same. And that's not right. <laughs> In our political and social environment today, capitalism and freedom have been turned into dirty words while political obscenities like communism, socialism, and fascism are considered socially acceptable modes of running the government. And, you know, socialism... Though, if you say that, mm -hmm. you are called an extremist yourself by saying, what do you mean fascism? We're not a fascist country. What are you talking about? You're thought of as a nut. That's right. And that's only because of the lack of information on the part who's saying that, on the part of the person who's saying that. Because I used to be kind of, um, I don't know, self-conscious about using those words, because socialism is a dirty word. I don't care what you say, because it represents an immoral relationship between a government and its citizens by depriving them of their individual autonomy and choice. Socialists do support dictatorship. That's what socialism is, so collective ownership and or control. What does that mean? That means you dictate. You dictate everything from behavior to prices. It's, it's ridiculous. There's not anything that you don't do. Now, I don't know if you've had any time to look at that chart yet. Well, you just put it in front of me, Bob. Yeah, no, Give well, me a chance. I, I'm just saying there's some, there's some interesting, you know, this, now this is what I call a working paper on the true left and the true right. Now, I don't know if it's ready yet to put online for folks to look at. I don't know. We'll decide on that later. But uh, I, I really created two columns, left and right. And this is a tr uh, an ideological left and right, not a political one. Because if we're looking at the politics, everything would be on the left in some way, you know, to some mm -hmm. degree there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, and then I broke it down into metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, politics, economics, and aesthetics. And so, you know, just to give you an idea of what that might mean in... In uh, metaphysics, that's, you know, on the, on the left you have uh, the unnatural, the beyond nature, the supernatural, mind over matter. On the right you have reality, all that exists, that which is natural, matter over mind in that sense. On the left uh, you have artificial faith and force, and on the right you have reality, which is freedom. John McMurray makes a uh, great point, the philosopher philosopher, the Scottish philosopher, about how reality and freedom are so intermixed. You can't have one unless you accept the other. 
uh, in epistemology, which is the means of acquiring knowledge. You either have some form of, of subjectivism, intrinsicism, faith, versus some form of objectivism or reason. And in this case, I'm not talking about Ayn Rand. I'm talking about an objective uh, philosophy. You know, that, that term, by the way, <coughs> objectivism, does exist as a philosophical term long before Rand yes, it did, uh, yeah. clued on into it. Matter of fact, it wasn't her first choice to call her philosophy. Oh, her first it? choice was... Um, Oh, it just escaped my head. Oh. <laughs> there it goes, rolling but down the floor. There you um, go. But no, it had to do with uh, metaphysics, uh, uh, existentialism. Existentialism. Oh, yeah, well, which of course had already existed as well. And meant something totally different again, yeah. too. But apart that about epistemology and faith, people may not think that oh, communism is based on faith. Well, it is. There's a notion out there that the state is all-powerful and can do no wrong. And that is a that is a part of being um, uh, superstitious and faith, uh, having faith in the state itself. It is very religious kind of a, a, an idea. Mm -hmm. Well, that's something Rand tried to impress upon us with regards to because she came from Russia, from the Soviet mm -hmm. Union, Soviet and, Union yeah, to be precise. Yeah. Right, and, and and everyone was telling her, well, that's the atheistic place that she came from, right? And she's going, no, it's not atheistic at all. It's very superstitious. Very there. superstitious, everything. And, uh, by the way, that's another thing I want to deal with after the break, is talking about superstition in politics, and uh, or a political superstition. I figure it's a good time to do it, since tomorrow is Friday the 13th, after all. <laughs> Shall we do that? Let's take our break, and we'll get back into that as soon as we return from this. Hey, her voice! Listen, I sing the body electric. From Walt Whitman's poetry. Her voice is too high. I celebrate myself and sing myself. Again, Walt Whitman. Too low. The armies of those I love engirth me and I engirth them. That's just right. That's it. you say that? Hey, look at her. Maybe it's my music. Yeah, well, about that, don't give up your day job. Too real. You got that straight, Slim. Too real is too right. There you go. Reality and rightness, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I didn't think his music was that bad. He played that trombone pretty nicely. Right on. He doesn't have to give, his, give up his day job. <laughs> you know, everybody... I don't even know how to approach this. What was Every, that clip from? That was from um, Star Trek Next Generation, believe it or not. That was the uh, the clip, uh, uh, that 1001 clip. With the oh, guys. yes, the binars. The yeah. binars who go in there and they create that uh, hollow, hollow deck experience for him, which is too real and too right. Yes. Now, in the absolute world of reality, and we say this all the time, all fundamentals are digital. It is a digital world out there, and that's why you really only have two options at any time. It's black and white, left and right, however you want to define it. Up and down, negative, positive. Yes or no, Man or, or female. Yeah, yeah, that's just basically. <laughs> yin or yang. And whenever we get down to the essentials, we come down to one of two alternatives, and it's just like your computer. Uh, you know, no matter how marvelous and complex your computer functions appear on your screen, when you get right down to the machine language, right down to the fundamentals, you come back to the magic number of two, which is the binary code, right? A simple binary code. It's just like you said, on or off, positive, negative, up, down, or left and right. There is no third or moderate center views on fundamental issues. There is no center. And that is what I'm calling a political superstition. That's superstition. In the relative world of politics, those who like to think of themselves in some imaginary center of the political spectrum are really kind of deluding themselves, although as a collective collection of their ideas, maybe that is a way to describe themselves. But there's no such position on any single given issue. Does the fact that you may be, say, totally right-wing on one issue and totally left-wing on another issue put you in some imaginary center. What would you say? Well, actually, I would say that people are left, 
people are right on particular issues, depending on the time of day, the mood they're in, the knowledge they have, the the person they're speaking to. Uh, to, to, to call people left or right, I think, um, cheapens an argument, cheapens the whole issue, because you're not looking at the whole thing. You're putting a label on somebody which may not fit, given another time, another circumstance, another issue. Well... Yeah, on a person is what you're saying. Uh, an individual, of course. Right. Now, but on the idea, it's a whole separate thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm starting to doubt that. I'm thinking that even if a guy's or somebody's right-wing, quote, right sometimes and left other times, I still have to categorize them as left because it's it's like the same thing as virtue and, and evil, you know. You have to be consistent. Well, you're trying to say, then, that that person is going to fall on the right side of the spectrum, but for all the wrong reasons. Well, that we can't. That's a whole other issue of why they they think that way. But you know, when someone in politics says their politics is on the center, what they mean is that on some issues, of course, they're on the left, while on others, they're on the right. Both liberals and conservatives like to be considered in the center. Philosophically, they're most likely to be pragmatists, the people who pave the road for tyranny <laughs> for the left. There's an old proverb which I'll paraphrase with the saying: "When the body politic becomes corrupt." the center is where all the decay is, right? <laughs> and because uh, the decay is made of a combination of compromise and pragmatism when you get both ideas mixed and then neither idea works because they don't work in the presence of the other, if you know what I'm saying. So what about the center? Well, that's where all the decay and corruption is most embedded. Left, right, and center is the common order of the political spectrum when spoken or phrased verbally. You ever notice how you know, we say left, right, and center? Note that the right is placed in the middle of that phrase, right? Mm -hmm. Logically placed, if you're moving from left to right, you wouldn't do it that way. You'd say from left to right, the phrase should read left, center, right. Right. Right? <laughs> so, however, the concept of just right which is the name of this show, that operates on the Goldilocks principle. And that when we, when we say that something's just right as opposed to right, just right is the centered position. And that's centered with uh, ED on the end of it. Not the center, but the centered position. Uh, the center is not centered. It is volatile and insecure in terms of being centered. Centered meaning stable. Stable, secure, and consistent. And, you know, it was too hot, too cold, the two extremes, but this was just right. And that's in between the two extremes, when you look at it that way. It's totally different than when we say left, right, and center, which always struck me as a little odd. Why, would, why do we say it in that order? And why would the language have developed that way? Because I think it's because those are your first two natural choices, left and right. And then what else? Okay, center. Almost as an afterthought, mm -hmm. right? Now, who moves the current political direction in this country and in many countries, most countries? It is the left. And in Canada, that means the NDP, the, one of the political incarnations, unions, labor leaders like Sid Ryan, the philosophical incarnation. And all these things are enacted through liberal and conservative policies alike. And with that in mind, I have a list here. We could talk all day on these, but I'm only going to touch upon them and see if they generate any kind of <laughs> response or conversation here. Uh, these are what I call leftovers, which are left-wing ideas that shape our current political direction and things that we con constantly hear from them. And just to give you some example, for example, one is the belief that poverty can be solved in an absolute sense. Ideal is not good enough. Perfection seems to be the rule. If you can't get everybody, then you can't. Then the system's no good. Every circumstance and instance of poverty must be either prevented or ameliorated. You know, and that's just the way we think. And that's a left-wing point of view. If you think it has to be done again through government, nothing wrong with getting rid of poverty the right way by creating wealth. Right? Um, anything on that? You, well, it's just a simple uh, example of egalitarianism. It's also an example oh, that's a good of... that's point, yeah. <coughs> it's not even poverty anymore, is it? No, you, everybody be uh, equal, uh, equally poor is usually the outcome. But it's also an example of, on the left, creating paper tigers. For example, you have the war on uh, poverty, the war on drugs, an object, the war on tyranny, um, which is no war at all. These are amorphous, um, intangible things... Uh, except for drugs, of course, which are <laughs> which is an object, a war on an object, bizarre, yeah. um, and these kinds of things um, relate to the left wing philosophy 
of um, no absolutes. Right. And um, I just think that that's an example, and the war on poverty is a good one. Well, here's another one. There's no such thing as war on poverty. You cannot get rid of poverty. Well, not by warring on it, that's for sure. Certainly not. But to get rid of poverty, you need peace. Yeah. <laughs> you need a lot of peace. And you need the freedom and the right to have property rights and things so that you can collect and accumulate wealth. Well, that's you can't get rid of it anyway as an absolute because there are people out there who choose poverty. Well, it's not even that. I think I think it's even simpler than that. I think we're all born into poverty in the sense well, that none, none of us are born <laughs> rich. And poverty is the natural state. It, it was, I forget who said it, but we've said it many times too. I mean, if we go back to caveman times and everyone was poor by today's standards, but that wasn't considered poverty. You no, know, of course not. Because poverty is always relative to someone else who has the wealth. The poorest person today lives in an unimaginable wealth compared to uh, the richest person from two, three hundred years ago. I, you know, even kings and queens, I don't know how they live without toilets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that one that, item alone. That one item alone <laughs> is worth living in the 20th century or beyond. Trust me. Uh, you know, and then there's the belief that profit represents waste. This is one of the greatest... I don't know, mythologies you could have going out there. The profit represents waste when it's exactly the opposite. Profit represents a lack of waste and somebody taking care of business and making sure they're going to be there and who, who isn't wasting. How did profit ever come to be associated with waste? Isn't loss really associated, should be associated with waste? I think it comes from the misconception that the supply of money is a fixed amount. And that if, if if some of that money is is not being used in in the sense of that they think that it is right, mean, yeah. they, first of all they don't realize that profit is always being used. Money is always in action. Um, if you keep money under your mattress, that money is basically dead to the system anyway. But um, I think it comes from the fixed pie theory, which of course is a fallacy. Mm -hmm. Then there are others. Boy, we're getting down to the bottom of the hour here. Got tons of them here we could just touch on. Let's see. The belief that government controls prevent bad things from happening, as opposed to understanding that government controls can cause bad things to happen. And I think this comes a lot from having a specific goal, but not seeing the unseen consequences that happen on the side. You know, especially when you're... you're remember, everything government does is done with a law, which means they're using the force of law not persuasion, not any sort of other thing going on. And so people either have to comply or they can't get involved in that particular activity. No, but you said it right and there, the, that which is unseen. The Frederick Bastiat mm. story of the, uh, the glazier who had the window broken by the thug. And of course, um, they, didn't, they thought that that was a good thing because it stimulated the economy. He had to go out and buy a window. And they didn't see the fact that he would have bought something else with that money. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, you, and here's another thing. You always get these denials that all the left cares about is money and materialism while they demand money and materialism. That's all they're ever lobbying for, right, is money and materialism. And then they blame the person from whom they're taking that money and materialism for being concerned with money and materialism. <laughs> hypocrisy, yes. And, of course, there's the belief that government's more efficient than the private sector even though evidence and logic totally preclude such a conclusion. Uh, the belief that things like sales taxes are regressive for the poor while making the rich pay, you know, graduated taxes, corporate taxes and business levies is, is a better way to finance government. I think taxes should be equal for everyone. Taxes should be eliminated, period. Um, well... But bearing that. Go government <laughs> needs to be funded, and we still call that source of funds taxes. I think that confuses things, because there's so many different ways of taxing. That Some are voluntary. Like, I think sale. I, I actually consider sales tax as a voluntary form of it tax. It is the most just of yes. the taxes, yes. no doubt. However, I think that a, a proper government would not need taxation. How but that is, so, that is so far off into the future, if it, it, it would ever exist, that it... Uh, it's not even I, worth don't, talking I, don't, about. I don't see it as an issue even. I see it as taking care of itself. It's the, the big thing we've got to watch out for is property taxes and income tax. Those, well, are, those are the killers. Remember one show I actually took the Ontario budget and stripped away everything that was non-essential to a proper government and, and, and used that budget to come up with a figure that the government of Ontario could be properly funded by a 5% sales tax. That's it. No other taxation whatsoever. I could I could live with that. I wouldn't be out there rabble rousing, you know, uh, on on the radio trying to to overturn such a system because that would be okay. Yeah, I can live with that. Mm -hmm. It would not necessarily be uh, an ideal. Any taxation is a form of theft, but you know, I, 
a hell of a lot better than what we got today. That's right. Um, and of course, the left prefers socialism and central planning to the idea of government welfare, which is a different concept. It's based on the principle of only directing assistance to those in demonstrable need. And that's something, of course, uh, I wouldn't like to see, but I have no objection to it. It's a totally different thing from the universal programs that are really bankrupting the country. You know, health care, education, those things don't need to be on the government uh, budget at all. And uh, nor do you have to worry about, you know, losing your life and limb and all everything you own because you get some kind of horrible disease. You know, th th these are just myths that the left feeds on to promote their own interests. They feed on emotion. Mm -hmm. It's always the emotion. So all of these beliefs and positions can be boiled down to a single motivation, and that is down at the root is wanting something for nothing. And in the attempt to rationalize that motivation through politics, under an ever-reliable banner of helping the poor, because that's how it works, uh, they get universal benefits for which they themselves make sure they qualify. <laughs> you know, that's how it works. And to give us an example of uh, how that is going into the bottom of the hour here, this next um, audio bite is from... Uh, a haunting episode of the Twilight Zone, and it's not because of it being the Twilight Zone either. It's uh, from an episode called The Spoilers. One of the voices you'll recognize as Peter Falk, who is the <laughs> evil dictator in this. But what happens is he's just taken over. Um, they had a coup on some, you know, what to call third world island country or something, imaginary in this particular case. And he's just uh, brought in the old dictator to give him what he thinks about him. And uh, the old dictator tells him what he thinks about him. And so it's interesting to hear two people on the left having this very interesting conversation. And we'll be back. You disappoint me. You recognize that man? That one, the one in the picture. Arrogance and full braid. What does he know? Hey. Hey. What does he know? He's an old man in a dirty uniform. What is it you want of me, Clement? Not what I want. Not what I want. Not what I want! Not what I want! What they want! Not what I want! What they want! What they want! I'm not going to place you against the wall. No, no, no. That's searching death for underlings. The firing squad is for followers. No for leaders. No, no, General. You're too good. Too good. For you, I'm going to strip you naked and cover you with honey. And then I'm going to tie you to the ground under a hot sun. And then I'm going to let the ants at you. And every time that you scream, I'm going to drink wine. And every time that you pray for mercy, I'm going to laugh out loud. Because I want you to take a long time to die the cross. One part death for every acre of land you stole, then one part death for every morsel you took out of a peasant's mouth, and one part death for every voice that you stifle by decree. I will not oblige you, Clemente, with a cry or a plea. You can strip off my flesh because it is there for you and easily done. But my manhood, my manhood, you... Greasy little peon. This, this is as far from you as the moon. Greasy peon. Greasy. He's to be judged, not tormented. He is the animal. And you are not, huh? <laughs> you are the purists. Eh? The saviors, the avenging angels, eh? <laughs> Gentlemen, you will soon be disillusioned. You are me. You are the Cruz. You are Batista, you are Castro, you are Trujillo, you are the keepers of the grab bags. Oh, you can wave your flags and put up your statues and embrace all the people, from the oldest to the youngest, but we are all the same breed. We are the spoilers. We care for no one. No one but ourselves.
Good morning. Good morning, ladies. Professor, Skipper. Hi. Can I help with breakfast? Uh, there may not be any breakfast. Thanks to Sleeping Beauty here, we've been robbed. Robbed? Yes, somebody broke into the supply hut. Took our food supplies, the flashlight, and our flare gun. There's only one answer. There must be someone else living on the island. You're right, Professor. Well, it could be an animal. You're right, Ginger. No. Flashlight and a flare gun? Those things are only useful to a man. Well, if it were a man, we'd have seen him before now. You're right, Marianne. It could be someone wanted by the police. An escaped convict or a murderer. You're right again, Professor. Gilligan, will you cut that out? Everyone can't be right. Skipper? What? You're right, too. We can't all be right, can we? Well, maybe our caller can be right. Uh, Matthew is on the line here. Matthew, what do you have to say? Uh, yeah, I was, I was just calling about the... Uh, Bob uh, made a comment about the difference between uh, having some right-wing views and some left-wing views, and maybe you're actually in the center or not. Right. And uh, <laughs> I thought of the uh, Ayn Rand quote that uh, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but sure. in the compromise between food and poison, only death can win. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, to me, that's kind of, you know, the same thing as, uh, you know, the compromise between only, you know, the right and the left, only the left are, or can win, which is death. So, you, you know, know, that's absolutely correct. And <laughs> that thought went through my mind as well when he was talking about that. Uh, you take a glass of milk, it's pure. You put a drop of poison in it. It's right. still poisonous. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Thank you for that, Matthew. All right. Thanks, Matt. Carry on. I, I'm almost surprised that I didn't think of that quote myself when I was talking about that, because that was exactly what I was trying to say when I said, you know, a person who considers himself left and right and has those points in the middle, I'm going, well, it's poisoned, right? It, it, that's, that's why it all has to be, end up being on the left. The, the, the center is the left, the poisoned Anything left, I guess. That is not correct, and I don't want to use the word right, but I, I should use the word right. Anything that is not as right is wrong to some degree or another. It is wrong in a sense, right? Of course, when we're talking left and right, we're, we're sticking... Remember, left has its own principles, too, and so you can be a purist on the left. It's called being uh, internally consistent. Yes. Yeah. And that, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Anyway, I want to get into the meanings of these words left and right. Does, what does exactly does it mean when we say just right? or left-wing, or right-wing. Now, the history of the terms left and right-wing really has little to do with the etymology of the words left and right, which is a pity because those roots of the words describe quite accurately, I think, the political spectrum of today, as you did a great job of it in the first half hour, Bob. But more on that in a minute. I want to take on that in a minute as well. The history of left-wing and right-wing goes back to the revolutionary France of 1789, when those members of the National Assembly were divided into supporters of the Church and the Monarch and were seated on the President's right, and supporters of the Revolution, essentially the Republicans, were seated on the left of the President's uh, side. Until the revolution uh, members apparently sat, and uh, until before that, the, uh, the revolutionary members and, and the, um, the members of the National Assembly sat anywhere, but with passions heightened during the revolution, the monarchists grouped themselves on the right to avoid, get this, to avoid the shouts, oaths, and indecencies of the revolutionaries. In other words, they were beating them up. <laughs> Oh really? Yeah, there was probably you know I mean, you've you've probably seen it in so, uh, so they so they so they gravitated to one side of the parliament or whatever to, for self defense. They huddled together on the right side of the so president basically to God. avoid the shouts and the oaths <laughs> and the uh, indecencies of the revolutionaries. Um, so you had the uh, the right being monarchists and supporters of the of the status quo, and on the left you had the revolutionaries. Uh, I think back in that day I would have sat on the left. But it's interesting, yes. Yeah. I would have not seen myself as the status quo per no. se, although no. there's a lot of the status quo you support, right? Sure, of course, yeah. Well, Don't throw the baby out the Don't oh. throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, that's the... Uh, in, of course, in the United States, it's a revolution as well, but in Canada, we had more of a, uh, a Burkean type of transition from the status quo to a more uh, free country. Now, the seating of the left and the right based on political uh, loyalties was abolished for a time, but during the restoration of 1814, political groupings naturally formed once again with ultra-royalists sitting on the right in the French uh, parliament uh, and constitutionalists in the center and independents on the left. Uh, the term extreme right and extreme left came into use during that period of French history. I thought that that mm. was probably a, a more recent invention, but no, apparently they used it uh, 200 years ago. 
Now, um, over time, the convention of sitting conservatives on the right and uh, innovators, as they were called, or reactionaries or liberals on the left, migrated to the rest of Europe and eventually, of course, the United States and uh, here in Canada. And history shows, though, that political ideologies, uh, ideologies were and still are quite fluid, depending on the issues of the day, as I mentioned at the beginning of the hour, and the conscience of the politician. Every party has its factions. You may be on the left, but in the left there are people who sometimes think on the right, but they stay on the left for a whole host of other aggregate uh, how, reasons. How interesting you should bring that up. I just listened to Ezra Levant this morning talking about Preston Manning's days back with the Reform Party. Mm -hmm. and apparently Preston Manning had come out, something he objected to, Ezra, uh, saying that the Reform Party had its left wing and, and, and right wing, right? And, uh, and um, Ezra was saying, well, wait a minute, you can't mix those two things and have a consistent movement of any sort, right? Yeah. And so, uh, just interesting observation. Well, it won't last. And here's another Ayn Rand observation, is mm -hmm. that the, is that the uh, political ideology that is the more consistent will always prevail. And if you have, within your ranks, um, dissent, people who uh, will eventually uh, uh, probably overthrow you, or want to move that particular party into a different direction, you're not going to prevail. You're going to be taken over by um, the other party who is more consistent in their views. And that is why, for example, Yaron Brook of the Ayn Rand Institute has said that in the Middle East, the Islamists will prevail because they are consistent in their views. That's right, and that's why left and right, when they're consistent, it doesn't matter, evil or good, they're going to win. Mm-hmm. By sticking to it. Right. So the Islamists will win in the Middle East because not only are the uh, Islamists consistent in their views, but the, the status quo have nothing to defend. They do not know how to defend what they are protecting. And so they will lose, ultimately. And that, uh, I think he was talking about Egypt at the time. Now, it's fascinating um, as the history of the use of the left and right wing is. It has little to do with today's uh, politics as the ideological lines between left and right, as we've discussed. Uh, conservative and liberal, Democrat and Republican, Whig and Tory have become so blurred as to be non-existent. There are no real distinctions that you could point to and say, you are left, you are right. They're all left. Now, for example, in both the United States and here in Canada, some, if not most, of the legislation, which could be described as being progressive or socialist or liberal, has either been instigated or legislated into existence by, guess what, right-wing parties, conservatives. From taxes to regulations on business to socialized medicine to egalitarian programs, almost all of them came in to power during conservative reigns and were supported and are supported to this day. Now, a more accurate description of political ideologies could be drawn from the etymology of the words left and right, rather than left wing or right wing. Right, as an adjective, has the Proto-Indo-European root dec, which is where the Latin word dexter comes from. Oh, that's very dec and dexterous. <laughs> yeah. And tracing the word throughout European linguistic lines, we find uh, that it meant straight, or good, as opposed to bent. <laughs> the Old English word, and um, I don't know how to pronounce this, R-I-H-T, the Old English word right, I suppose, meant just, good, fair, proper, fitting, and straight. The phrase to put right meant to straighten. And straight has come to mean honest and morally upright. We'll leave the sexual connotation of straight and bent alone, but I suspect that the origins may be similar. Uh, the use of the word to indicate that something was straight or correct or just seems to have led to its migration into the political and legal realm where the phrase rule of conduct, with rule meaning straight, as in a ruler is a straight object, and has come into use also, um, for example, uh, just claim, what is due, truth, a legal entitlement and privilege. All of these phrases came into uh, existence because of the etymology of the word right, meaning straight. Um, compare this to the etymology of left, where every connotation seems to denote something negative. That's why I say that these words left and right are quite appropriate mm. for the, the proper dichotomy that you're talking about of, of uh, an objective reality 
something well, that we promote. Well, that's the philosophical left and right versus, yes, which the, is black and white. Versus, not the left wing, right wing. the political spectrum, yes. which is colorful. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, 800 years ago, the old English word lift meant weak, foolish, or a lameness or paralysis. It developed soon into uh, meaning the opposite of right, as the right hand was always the strongest. Left is also derived from the German word uh, to slink. And further back into its Proto-Indo-European roots, it came, in, uh, came from a word meaning considered suspicious. All negative connotations. And then, of course, there's the word sinister, which is Latin for left, and was often used in uh, augury in the sense of unlucky or unfavorable. So today we have the left and right on the political spectrum, which is what we talked about in the first half hour. But from my vantage point, I see all political ideologies as being on the left in the historical sense of that word. Sinister, suspicious, unfavorable, foolish. I can't help but place myself somewhat above the political spectrum, deciding the issues based on reason and not some hard and fast ideology loaded over by some sort of political or even philosophic leader. To me, an opinion or decision on a political problem is either right or wrong, not right or left, <laughs> based on reason and logic, using as a standard the protection of individual rights and all decisions and opinions being able to be traced back logically to observation and reality. I find the positions of those who would call themselves on the left or right are often based on dogma. The writings of their political leaders, for example, like Marx and Hitler and Mao, or their philosophic leaders like Immanuel Kant or Dewey, or even their political pundits of the day whom they hold up like gods, people like David Suzuki ooh, or Noam Chomsky, hardly philosophers, but more than the talking heads that we get in the media, at least. Now, far better that people look to the right, and just the right, in the historical meaning of that word, and search for answers which are straight, honest, true, and, well, just right. Mm -hmm. So, let's take a little break. Now, coming up in this break, we have... This is more than a break. This is a... Well, yeah, it's going to be a long break, <laughs> yeah, because what we've got is... Uh, what's the first one? Star Trek Next Generation... A um, little bit of, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit of what what you call their concern over going to war because uh, what we're going to deal with in the third quarter, fourth quarter of the hour, of course, is the Syrian war. I have to tell you, Robert, the longer we've done this show, when I prepare audio bites for the show, mm -hmm. the more I'm amazed by the Star Trek series. How er, almost every episode in that sh that whole series was a philosophical premise, and it was based on a philosophical premise, each one. And it's there's not an event in history, not an issue that we can't discuss, that that show probably did not <laughs> devote a complete episode to. Yeah, the writing and, of that show was amazing. And, and it, obviously the writers were very well aware of world affairs and what was going on and how to frame it in a purely almost without the concretes, you know, in a complete... Uh, imaginary way. Mm -hmm. And after that, we're going to be listening to uh, Yaron Brook of the Ayn Rand Institute talk for um, uh, about six minutes, actually, on his opinion on the Syrian conflict. And we're going to let him have most of the next fourth quarter of this um, hour. And then we'll do a wrap-up. And then we'll do a wrap-up okay. after that. We better act right after this. I find myself having grave concerns about our mission concerns as as to its success no 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 more fundamental doubts whether or not it can be justified i've been asking myself the same thing i'm sure our superiors feel their orders are justified orders we can't even verify orders we can't ignore but i also can't ignore that we have greatly outclassed the one enemy vessel we've encountered and that every single possible shred of information which might shed some light on this situation has been conveniently eliminated. I feel as though I've been handed a weapon, sent into a room, and told to shoot a stranger. Well, I need some moral context to justify that action. I don't have it. I must ask you, is it right to risk prolonging this war? to allow the needless deaths of thousands on both sides, solely on the basis of our moral discomfort. I'm not content simply to obey orders. 
I need to know that what I'm doing is right. Okay, so as I'm doing this video, uh, Congress is in session and they are debating whether the U.S. should intervene in Syria, whether the Congress should support a resolution that allows the president to start, you know, engaging in the Syrian conflict. There's some debate about whether troops on the ground or just bombing. So why is this debated now? This civil war has been going on for two years. Why has suddenly this issue come about? Well, because the Syrian regime has used chemical weapons. So what we're being told, in a sense, America will not step in, does not intervene, does not need to do anything. If you're just slaughtering people using bullets and, and bombs and, and other so-called conventional weapons, but if you use chemical weapons, now that's bad. Why is it bad? Nobody can really give you a reason. A red line has been crossed. What red line? We'll, we'll get to Obama's red line in a minute. But what red line? You're still killing civilians. You're just killing indiscriminately. What red line? More importantly, what American interest is at stake here? What American interest is, is, is differentiated between the use of chemical weapons versus conventional weapons? Where does conventional weapons not involve American interests and chemical weapons does involve American interests? Look, at the end of the day, this is basically an appeal to emotion. That's all it is. This is an emotional response. But that's what this is. This is foreign policy based on emotions. This is foreign policy based on fear. This has nothing to do with interest. This has nothing to do, even on the humanitarian ground, this has nothing to do with the number of people dying. This is purely emotion-driven. This is purely nonsensical. It makes absolutely no sense. So... Uh, what we have here somehow is an appeal to emotion, an emotion-driven foreign, po foreign policy. There's no reason or rationale for the U.S. to get involved now that didn't exist a month ago, a year ago, and so on. Now they say, wait a minute, but there's a red line. Obama drew a red line. American credibility is at stake because an American president went out there and said, I will not tolerate the use of chemical weapons. If chemical weapons are used... America shall intervene. And yes, there is a red line. And yes, American credibility is at stake. But it's a stupid red line. It's a ridiculous red line. It's a red line that should never exist. What Congress should announce and what your president, if we had a half-decent president, would say is, look, I made a mistake. It was a bad red line. No American interest is affected by this red line. This is a red line that has nothing to do with American self-defense has nothing to do with the protection of lives and property of Americans. This is a arbitrary red line, an emotional red line, an altruistic, self-sacrificial red line, and therefore I withdraw it. But be warned, if you cross the red line, and the red line is if you threaten the lives of Americans, if you threaten the real interests of Americans, then we will really come after you. That's the only red line that should exist. And that's a real red line. And that, by the way, is the one red line that people violate all the time and we do nothing about. So the Iranians are, are building nuclear weapons. They said they want to use it against us. They've uh, killed Americans repeatedly through, for the last, really since 1979, and 1980s, and the 1990s, uh, in the 2000s. They, 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 uh, they fund terrorism all over the world. They actively engage in warfare with the United States. They're developing nukes. We keep putting in red lines saying, don't buy centrifuges, don't do this, don't do that. They ignore every single one of the red lines that we put in front of them. And we ignore the fact that they ignore the red lines. We put on lame economic sanctions and we do nothing, absolutely nothing. Why? Because it's in our self-interest. Why are we getting so upset about Syria? because we have no self-interest there. Notice how foreign policy works and what gets people excited. What gets people excited is humanitarian, self-sacrificial, altruistic U.S. intervention. When it's truly in our self-interest, when true American interests are at stake, when the protection of American lives is involved, uh, 
you know, then we need to negotiate, we need to compromise, we need to sanctions, we need to do a thousand different things, but no military action. Foreign policy in the United States is driven by altruism. It's driven, it's not even a, 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 any kind of a consistent form of altruism. It's a pragmatic form of altruism. But what is, what is the defining characteristic of it is selflessness. It's not in our self-interest. It's a foreign policy that's driven, explained, justified, you know, without any reference to American self-interest purposefully or without any reference to true American self-interest purposefully. So we've got a pragmatic, uh, you know, emotion-driven, selfless kind of foreign policy that is driving this. So look, foreign policy should be guided by, you know, military action should be guided by one thing, and that is American interests. We should never engage in military action unless the lives of Americans uh, are at risk. We should, unless there's a real threat to Americans, to the rights of Americans, we should not be engaged in military policy. The whole foreign policy should be guided by the principle of protecting individual rights. America should refocus its foreign policy on what's truly in our self-interest, draw red lines around the lives, the true interests of, the, of, of Americans. Uh, American government needs to return to its proper role, protecting the individual rights of American citizens. And that was your own Brooke in a recent podcast featured on the Ayn Rand Institute's website at aynrand.org. I think it just went up uh, two days ago. And I think it's an excellent example of how political philosophy should be based on reason and reality and individual rights rather than emotion and altruism as the current foreign policy of the United States is driven by. And in a way, this is the true left and right of the world. Those philosophies which are not based on reason do not have reality as their fundament, have superstition and mysticism as their means of knowledge and altruism and egalitarianism as their ethics, versus philosophy which recognizes the existence of reality, uses reason as its only means of acquiring knowledge, has a man's happiness as its ethical goal and the protection of individual rights as its political aim. This is the left and right of the philosophic realm. The left being sinister, incorrect, damaging, and leading to death and despair, while the right is correct, life-affirming, and leading to individual happiness and prosperity. And the red line that uh, Yoram Brook and, of course, President Obama have been talking about, that's in a way a, um, a line that you cannot cross depending on your, your policy. And, and we had a caller call in... Um, during that break, I uh, didn't want to come on the air, but he left us with a question. Um, Scott asked, uh, the prime directive from Star Trek, mm. <laughs> again, we're always going back to Star mm. Trek, great show, um, could that be considered um, a valid philosophy or foreign policy um, and the government should be used as an example of the government not interfering with the lives of um, its citizens? Um, I think it's a great directive for a government not necessarily for individuals you cannot basically say you cannot interfere with this culture that's how the prime directive works though it's just for it's just for the um what do they call themselves for the, the, for the federation, federation. Yeah. yeah it's the, not um, for the individual right. citizens of course and and i don't want anybody to think yeah. that just because i like the prime directive which is basically we're not going to interfere with your country and i don't care how many people you're killing over there it's not our fight we're not going to be putting our soldiers in harm's way to save the people over there because you're just look sort it out yourself sure. and that's what we should do with Sirius sort it out you're killing each other neither of you are deserving of our help um, and if you kill civilians their deaths are on your heads not ours we're not doing anything but a prime directive should not be to, to say that well you as an individual cannot trade with Syria or the Syrians if you w wish to um, there may be there may come a time if a war was declared for example when we go to yeah, war with be Iran very easy to trade <laughs> when we go to or war with Iran or when we were at war with Germany I, I think it's quite um, um, legitimate to say to uh, your citizens there is an embargo with trading with this country because your trade is helping them out as all trade does it's a win-win situation so you cannot trade with Germany you cannot trade with Iran when we go to war with them because um, 
it's not in our self-interest. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's a great perspective on left and right and left wing and right wing. Any other words, Bob? Well, the rest of the show, the rest of the series is going to be about basically these things over time. But that's all the time we've got today because our prime directive tells us we're out of time for this <laughs> show. And so join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. Fade into color. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Chuck, you're doing the missing family story, right? No, actually, I, I just gave it to Kelly. She'll do a much better job with it. And let's face it, we must always put the show first. Okay, Kelly, the story's exploding. It turns out the father had to fight off a bear to save the whole family. Damn it! <laughs> this is gonna be the story of the year. Yeah, if it even happened... <laughs> Just their word against the bears. <laughs> Kelly, can I have a word with you? Yeah, yeah. I'm just changing the lead to my bear story. First I had it was too soft, and then it was too hard, and now I think it's just right. <laughs> Funny. <laughs>